0: Got caught up in a show yesterday and watched all of it. Wasn't Game of Thrones. I've never seen an episode. I have no idea what the attraction is. People seem to like it. Winter is coming. That's all I know. This was actually a show called Afterlife. Ricky Gervais' new show. And there's only one season. It's a pretty quick watch. And it's a show about a guy who loses his wife to breast cancer and is kind of bitter at the world, and in good old Ricky Gervais fashion, he tells it like it is to anybody who he comes close to. But it has in it an old Greek proverb. When was the last time you read a good old Greek proverb? Probably never. It hasn't happened. Still waiting. But here it is. Society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit in. They worked that in so well. Think about it again. And you could change this. This is an old Greek proverb, so it says old men. You could put in old people, I suppose. Can you say old people? Is that politically correct? Probably isn't anymore. Society grows great when old people plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit in. That's something we need to do more of. Right there. Now, this had nothing to do with the plot of the show. He works for a little local newspaper and they cover stories like hey there was a leak in my roof and now there's a face that looks like this british celebrity or this guy can play two recorders at the same time using his nostrils that kind of stuff that's what they cover on on the show but i thought that's a line that we need to slap out there because we deal too much in the now too much in not what is coming up and we are going to be talking with gordon miller later on in the show and he is a really interesting guy he's held some pretty unique positions he's the former environmental commissioner of ontario and he's also an ecologist he's an environmental policy analyst one of the things we're going to look at is the great lakes what's the biggest problem with the great lakes well, eventually somebody's going to realize it's one of the last good fresh water sources on the planet, and they're going to come and try and bop us on the head and take control of it. That's probably a big issue with the Great Lakes, but there are other issues. He's looking at that, and we're also going to talk to him about a pretty serious issue that nobody is able to think of. And yesterday when we were looking at this issue as it pertained to flooding in Quebec, we were talking about things like planning for the future and how do you do that and how is somebody supposed to know what will happen well gordon miller will go into that because if you look at the way that storms are developing and what are we in southwestern ontario we can put a banner up we are one of the leading thunderstorm spots in all of the country it's usually between us and windsor and windsor edges us out every year by one and a half to somewhere around there. But we get more thunderstorms here than just about anywhere else in this country. And the problem with those storms is that they are becoming more intense. And you can look at the statistics that back up the intensity. And with that comes some real challenges like, Hey, are those culverts wide enough to take all of the water running into them and put that water somewhere else? Huh? I hadn't thought of that. Well, they're as wide as they are. Yeah, based on old stats. How about, hey, if the Thames rises high enough, are bridges and dikes set up to the height that they should be? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, sure, based on the old data. Yeah, but we're not dealing with the old data. How about storm sewers and the amount of water that they can handle? Uh, not sure. The old data? Yeah, but we're not dealing with old data. We're dealing with... The new data from thunderstorms that shows very, very different from what the old data has told us. What we have based our infrastructure projects on forever. So this is a really interesting situation that is developing if storms continue to intensify. So Gordon Miller will join us in about an hour from now. We are also going to talk about some of the construction downtown much later on on the show. We're going to talk Leafs and Bruins if you were listening to the 96 take, here's my prediction for tonight. Because there's no way that this could play out. This this is like the people who had put $600 down or had put, you know, a dollar down, whatever it would take, and had 600-1 to 1 odds on the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup last year. I mean, the odds are astronomical. There is no way that the Toronto Maple Leafs could be leading either in the third period or after two periods... And have Boston come back again, could they? I know there's a chance. It's a hockey game. Anything can happen. But seriously, this happened in 2013. It happened last year. Can't happen again. There's no way. The odds would be too great. Can't happen. We'll see what happens tonight. We'll talk with John Mattis, who is the national hockey writer for the score ca and he's coming up in about a half hour from now we'll talk to him not just about the leafs and the bruins but a crazy first round here's something else that needs to be pointed out and i know leaf fans are going to say Dah, don't stop it's too early think about what happened the last time a canadian team won the stanley cup it was montreal and it was 1993 a lot of montreal fans like to remind the world of that moment that was the last time a canadian team won what happened that year? There were upsets like you wouldn't believe. Montreal wasn't the best team. They played Los Angeles. They weren't one of the best teams. In fact, the final four teams left standing that year all finished third in their division. So you had upsets just like this year. The top seeds got knocked out. And Montreal managed to take advantage of that and zoom on through. The Toronto Maple Leafs were third in their division. If they could win tonight, those top seeds... 1-2 and in the East, 1-2 and in the West, they're already gone. You could say it's very similar to 1993. But Leaf fans don't want to hear that just yet. There's still one more game to get through. We'll talk about that in a half hour. Up next, we are going to talk about something called election brew. Would you taste a beer that was made by politicians? Well, I'd rather taste a beer that was made by brewmasters... Politicians are there to do No, 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 no. That's the question you have to answer. Would you drink a beer, taste a beer that was made by politicians? Because apparently we're gonna have an opportunity to do that. Election brew is getting underway tomorrow. We'll outline exactly what this is. It involves Labat and our good friends at Labat's. We're going to speak with the Labat London Brewmaster. You want to learn how to make beer? This guy knows, and he'll be one of our guests. We're also going to talk next with the executive director of Equal Voice, Eleanor Fast, to figure out what election brew is all about. The goal is to bring together political parties using the brewing of beer. This doesn't sound bad. This doesn't sound bad. This sounds good. Let's see what it's all about in a moment. London Live continues on a Tuesday next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. What is one of the biggest problems with government right now? What would you say it is? And I don't mean any specific government. I mean Canadian government, period. What's one of the biggest problems? Voting along party lines. That's a huge issue. It doesn't always get us what we need because it's it's tricky. It's political, right? It's the game. But if we were able to have members vote... Based on what their constituents actually were feeling. They can argue based on what their constituents were feeling. But to actually vote? No, no, no. You vote with your party or you risk being sent to who knows. What's the Canadian version of Siberia? What would that be? I'm not going to name a place. Somebody will be from that place and they won't like it. But the Canadian version of Siberia, whatever that would be. It's some field somewhere. It's very open. You can't get hit by lightning when all those thunderstorms come. But still... So that's a big issue. If only we could bring politicians from different parties together and stick them in the same room with a common goal. Wow. That is some symbolic stuff, isn't it? Well, that's actually what's taking place. And imagine you could take politicians from different political parties. You could put them in the same room and it would involve beer. Now I'm ready to buy a ticket to tell you the truth. I think this is worthwhile. Well, it is happening, and here is what it's called. Election Brew and the Election Brew Competition. It is going to happen in late May, on May the 29th, and there are a few things at work here. One being the organization that is called Equal Voice, which we'll find out more about in a minute. It's a multi-partisan organization, and they do a lot to advocate for equal representation, men and women and so they are involved and Labatt is involved and with London Ontario being the home of Labatt, i think we got to find out a lot more about this joining us from Equal Voice is Eleanor Fast who is their executive director Eleanor how are you
1: I'm well thank you Mike how are you
0: Not too bad um this is uh, this is an interesting mix uh politics and brewing uh, when you when you look at this what stands out to you
1: Uh, Well, I just think that this election brew competition by Labatt is such a wonderful way to bring MPs from across party lines together, working together and having some fun on something other than the day to day of politics.
0: Do you hope that conversations about politics happen to crop up in this?
1: Well, I hope there's lots of conversations about beer, that's for sure. But um, I think whenever you put MPs in a room together, politics inevitably inevitably comes up. But having something, you know, really fun that the bats put together here um, sort of softens the tension, I think, and really allows us to to focus on the importance of having diverse people in politics and you know, from Equal Voices' perspective, getting more women involved in politics as well.
0: Okay, we've talked a little bit about what is taking place, but please lay it out for us in how this is going to play out.
1: Well, so I'm the executive director of Equal Voice, and which is an organization which works with all political parties in a multi way to increase nominations of women candidates. And we are absolutely thrilled to be working with Labatt um, on this event where they're bringing together MPs from right across, the, right across the country to represent their region in something that they're calling Election Brew, which is the first ever all-party national brewing competition Um, So they're going to have eight beers being brewed at Labatt facilities right across the country with MPs from all the political parties joining forces and creating um, hopefully some really exciting and unique beers using uh, local ingredients that highlight those different regions across the country.
0: So are are we picturing this to be something like when you make your own beer or make your own wine, you're present, but at the same time, we've got some professionals handling this.
1: Yeah, well, and I know Labatt has a lot of people behind the scenes helping people out for sure. So I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to tasting some of these beers on on uh, May twenty when they when they all come to Ottawa.
0: Well, it all kind of starts tomorrow at eleven fifteen in the morning because we'll have Peter Fradiscatos, Liberal MP, and Karen Vecchio, Conservative MP, and they will be visiting Labatt's and and learning a little bit about this. So eight beers, they will all be brewed in London?
1: No, they're being brewed right across the country. So, um, as you mentioned, Karen Vecchio and Peter frank in in uh, London, and then there's other sites across the country who will be brewing, each brewing their own beer, and then there will be uh, an event in, at the end of May, May 29th in Ottawa, where they will be judged and the winner will be announced. So it's a, it's a competition where we have um, MPs from different parties working together to represent their region and produce the best possible beer and, uh, and kind of stand up, stand up for their region.
0: Eleanor Fast is joining us, executive director of Equal Voice. And just so we reiterate this because it seems so strange, we will have Karen Vecchio and Peter Fragiscatos teaming up to create the beer from this region.
1: Exactly, it's very, very exciting and a real <laughs> multi-partisan effort.
0: Well, it is a really unique idea. Can't wait to see how it all plays out, Eleanor. Thank you so much. Where did where did this come from in terms of ideas?
1: Well, it's, Labatt um, approached us with the idea, um, and we at Equal Voice we, we thought it was a really great way to sort of emphasise that multi partisanship and. Get people working together, and we're so thrilled to be working with the bat on this.
0: Eleanor, have a great day.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Eleanor Fast, Executive Director of Equal Voice. This is the second time that they have done this, so I think it got a little bit bigger this year. And the aim is to bring politicians together from different parties, stick them together in a common goal. Yes, it's symbolic. But at the same time, it sounds like it's a lot of fun. So how is this going to work out? And if London is up against seven other regions, uh, we've got to be hoping that we've got somebody at the helm who knows what he's doing. And that's exactly what we do have. Eric Cartesiano is the brewmaster here at Labatt in London. And we're lucky enough to have him with us on London Live to talk about how his involvement (laughs) kind of carries into the election brew competition. Eric, thanks for joining us on London Live. How are things at Labat today?
2: Things are going great.
0: Pretty soon, you're going to have some dignitaries coming through, some members of Parliament, and they're not just going to be touring. You're going to have to give them kind of a crash course in making beer. How difficult is it to walk off the street and learn how to make good beer?
2: Well, <laughs> walking off the street to make beer isn't, uh, isn't difficult, but walking off the street to make good or even great beer, uh, that is difficult. So when they're here, I'm going to walk them through how to make great beer.
0: Okay, well that's, uh, that's what Labatt is known for, so that's, that's easy job number one. But in terms of actually getting something like that done, where do you begin when it comes to trying to create a new beer?
2: Uh, when creating a new beer, I think the first place we got to start is this, the style of beer that we want to make. Um, so I spoke with, uh, with our MPs uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to go with a, with a weed ale. And then from there, um, we, we go to the, the ingredients. And uh, really, to make great beer, you need great raw materials. And, uh, and that's where we started. So we're actually going to be brewing a, a honey weed ale, uh, and we're using locally sourced wheat and locally sourced honey uh, to do this.
0: When we talk about wheat ale, how long has that been popular in Ontario? How far back does that go?
2: Oh, that goes back oh, a long time. I don't know if I could put a year to it, but uh, it's definitely been spiking up in the last five to ten years. Uh, you know, Belgian-style wheat beers have, uh, have become more and more popular, and you see them more and more as you go out to, uh, to different craft breweries and even brew pubs
0: and then you add in the honey. I mean that's that's something that at some point somebody had to say, all right, let's let's put a little honey in this and see what happens. When it comes to that kind of leeway for beer, are there things you can put in beer and you would say, ah, that's that's horrible, that doesn't go and then other things that just seem to blend in perfectly?
2: Oh, there's definitely things that, you know, you could put in beer that people are going to maybe raise an eyebrow and ask, uh, why are you doing that? Well, one thing that's great about beer is there's so many unique things that you can do with it to make great beer. You know, I've seen people brewing with rhubarb and and things that some people, you know, it may not be common, but it doesn't mean it's not going to make a great beer. So uh, I guess that's what's so exciting about making beer, and especially, you know, what we're going to be doing uh, tomorrow is – we get to try different things, and and I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna create a great beer.
0: Eric Cartesiano, brewmaster at Labat London, joining us as we talk about Peter Fragiscatos, Liberal MP, Karen Vecchio, Conservative MP, making their way through Labat tomorrow as part of a challenge that has been put out. And we're going to have eight different beers created. It's going to basically go to a a a uh, uh, tasting, I suppose, in Ottawa that comes up later in May, and we're going to have election brew out of this. So how long does it actually take to brew beer w- and, and then actually taste that beer and, and have it be what it's supposed to be?
2: Well, it all depends on the style. So typically your lagers take a little longer. Uh, sometimes they can, you know, in alpha-fermenting, they take you know maybe six, seven days. Uh, But then the aging process is quite long. Uh, Ales tend to be much shorter. They ferment faster. Uh, So we're going to be brewing an ale, and uh, I'm expecting this one's going to be done in about two weeks, just over.
0: Okay. And how much leeway are you willing to give our politicians on choices that they will make in brewing this?
2: Oh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, We discussed a couple weeks ago uh, the style of beer and then even uh, what ingredients we wanted to use. And uh, so they were quite involved in, in what we're going to be making. So now it's, uh, it's going to be up to me to teach them how to make it great.
0: Beautiful. Any tips you can give to anyone who fancies themselves uh, a brewmaster of their own?
2: Uh, I'd say just ensure your raw materials, your raw ingredients are, are good, uh, that they're the best that you can find, because without great raw materials, you can't make great beer.
0: Eric, thank you so much for that tip and for everything else. Enjoy tomorrow.
2: All right. Thank you so much.
0: Eric Cartesiano, brewmaster at Laban London. So, election brew. The competition is on as of tomorrow. It'll wrap up late May in Ottawa. We'll keep tabs on the competition. There's another competition that happens tonight, Game 7, between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins. We'll talk about that and the rest of the strange things that have happened in round number one of the Stanley Cup playoffs with John Mattis, the national hockey writer for thescore.ca. That's coming up in about 10 minutes on London Live. Up next, news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Crazy things happen every day, wild things, things you just could not make up. Here's an example. In Australia, along a road that is considered the Sunshine Coast, there's a gas station. And that gas station, like all of our gas stations anymore, it seems, has a little kiosk. And this one actually has enough of a little grocery area that you can walk up and down the aisles. Well, a guy walked into that gas station and... As he walked through the door, he took a kind of recyclable shopping bag, so one that maybe you bring to the grocery store, and plopped that over his head. And he began to walk around the store picking up items. As the clerk watched, it wasn't too hard to see that this guy was, A, pretty good at walking around with a shopping bag on his head. It's not like he had eye holes cut in it, but that he also had a knife. Kind of makes you a little uneasy. He picked up a few things off the shelf and then arrived at the cash. That's impressive. With the shopping bag still on his head. And that's when he threatened the clerk and said he would need money from the cash. The clerk decided, okay, if this guy can walk around with a shopping bag on his head and not run into anything and knock stuff over, I'm going to give him the money. So the clerk starts handing over money. And the guy with whatever it was, cigarettes, chocolate bar, whatever he had in his hands. He's standing there, and all of a sudden he's got this cash in front of him, and he realizes he's not going to be able to carry all of this in his hands. He's going to need something like, oh, I don't know, a shopping bag. At which time he pulled the shopping bag off of his head, revealing his face to the cameras, and began tossing in the cigarettes, the chocolate bars, and the money, and then he ran out the door. Police have been able to use the surveillance video to track down this individual and uh, he's going to have to give back his stuff and spend some time in jail. If you think that's crazy, then you obviously haven't been paying attention to the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs because that is shopping bag over your head and walking into stuff crazy. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense from the first round of the playoffs one of the things for leaf fans that doesn't make sense the fact that they are headed back to a game seven in boston against the bruins what is it when deja vu strikes twice sometimes you get deja vu and you'll think huh i've been here before you don't get that same feeling twice about wait a minute this is the same deja vu i had last time that's not deja vu I mean, you should get checked out for psychic premonitions if you're able to pull that one off. That's what it feels like for the Leafs. Have you seen Leaf fans today? They're all nervous. They're all agitated. They need a hug. Hug a Leaf fan today. That's the day that it should be. What is it, April 23rd? Mark that down. April 23rd should be Hug a Leaf Fan Day. They just want to know everything's going to be okay tonight. I don't think we can promise them that, but here's what we can promise on London Live, that we are going to have a preview of Game 7 between the Leafs and the Bruins next. We'll talk about some of the other not-so-put-a-recycled-shopping-bag-over-your-head-and-walk-around-a-store-crazy as well. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The last time the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins met in the playoffs and didn't go to Game 7... Daryl Sittler led them in scoring. Doug Favelle. Am I even saying that right? I don't even remember. I remember Doug Favel because I had a hockey card when he was with the Edmonton Oilers and he had the biggest brown pads. Was it Favelle? Doug Favelle? If you can help me out, let me know. Inge Hammerstrom played for that team. He was the guy that Don Cherry said could go into the corner with a dozen eggs and come back out with a dozen eggs. That was the last time teams did not play a Game 7. Now, remember, they weren't even in the same conference for a long, long time. Now they are in the same division and they're in the same boat that they were in in 2013 and the same boat that they were in last year. Game 7, and it happens tonight. The National Hockey Rider for the score is John Mattis. And he is a guy who has written fantastic stories in London. Now he's just writing hockey wherever it happens. Tonight, one of the key spots, Boston, Massachusetts. John, how are things with you?
3: Uh, things are good. Thanks for the history lesson. I uh, I, I like that, that anecdote that, about cherry and the eggs and Going into the corner, I'd never heard that.
0: I yeah, he, he used to come. To, Inge Hammerstrom, I think, was one of the first European players to come and play in the National Hockey League. And, yeah, that was that was his way of saying he needed to be a little tougher in those corners. <laughs>
3: just the, yeah, I figured it's uh, – yeah, tonight's really, like, you can even just feel, like, the, the, the tension rising by the minute here um, in terms of uh, the series just – with with the history between these two teams, obviously 2013 and, and the giant collapse, and then last year with, uh, you know, lo- really the Leafs being kind of lucky to be in the seventh game, but then ultimately losing that one too. This year seems a little different because, you know, both teams have, have won and then lost. One and then lost has been very back and forth. Both teams have won two on the road, so it hasn't necessarily been this whole home ice advantage. Um, and also both teams have, you know, had their bad games, had their good games. I mean, uh Boston game two and game six look phenomenal uh game one not so much and then the Leafs you could say the same for you know game five they look pretty good and then game one they look pretty good so it's been so sort of you know I, we're in game seven so obviously it's been back and forth but I think it's you know when you look across the league it's that one series where there's been uh, very little margin of error on both sides
0: Let's kind of take a look at tonight, because Leaf fans want to know everything is going to be okay, and I don't think that can be promised, but at the same time, you talk about this series being more even, and that the Leafs have won twice in Boston. How much do you think that does matter that they have won that much on the road in this series?
3: I mean, it doesn't hurt. I mean, It gives them the confidence that tonight they can do something that they've done before, but... With Game sevens, no matter what the series, I think all bets are off, and it's just, um, you know, guys are going to be playing more minutes than they usually are, like guys like Brad Marchand or Austin Matthews are going to see their ice time rise a couple minutes over the night. Um, it's probably going to be one of those games where there's a fluky goal of someone's skate, just because that always seems to happen in Game sevens. Um, I expect the goalies to be solid. Like, if, if people are trying to, to visualize what it may look like, I think that the that Game 5 uh, in Boston when it was honestly a pretty boring game for 40, 45, 50 minutes where both teams didn't generate a lot of scoring chances. I just have a feeling that it's going to be like that again. And, you know, if you're a Leaf fan, I guess that's a good thing because the Leafs ended up uh, scoring two goals. Uh, and Obviously, the one was, was reviewed and, and controversial to a lot of people, but um, they came out looking pretty sharp from that game because the goals they scored were... Total team efforts where Austin Matthews went and got a breakout pass and he moved it up the ice and they sort of attacked as a unit and finished. It was very sort of clean. It was a very clean game. Um, and I just, I just have a feeling that that's what's going to happen uh, as things really ratchet up in game seven and teams are a little more cautious, a little more sort of dialed into the details of the game. Um, so, you know, two, one, three, two. I don't know who's going to be on the winning side, but I just, I see it playing out that way.
0: John Mattis, National Hockey Writer for the score.com. As we talk about the Leafs and the Bruins, we'll talk a little bit more about the ranks to the first round. Brad Marchand mentioned the other day or tweeted the other day that the ice has not been very good in Boston. Have you heard that from anybody else?
3: Yeah, that was weird. After, the, after uh, Boston won what would have been game six, uh, he just kind of randomly threw it out there. No one asked him about the ice. He just decided to talk about the ice. Um, he did sort of a press conference versus a scrum inside the dressing room so it was a little odd that he brought that up but then I know Charlie McAvoy has talked about it too and uh, I mean they're all, they're both playing on the same ice so I don't think it's sort of like a disadvantage to Boston to be playing on bad ice in their own rink or or a disadvantage to to Toronto to be walking into that situation if it's bad ice it's bad ice for both teams uh, the bounces will kind of go their their ways uh, and and yeah, I don't know. It, it's a little bit of a weird storyline that's crept up here in the last day or so, um, and it was sort of kick-started by Marchand. But, I, I, I mean, <laughs> maybe he was trying to get uh, the local ice makers in order uh, sort of publicly uh, <laughs> over the last 24 hours. I would imagine that they've figured out whatever problems there were.
0: No doubt. We're talking with John Mattis, national hockey writer for the score.com Leafs and Bruins in game seven tonight. I guess as a, a final note, we always hear the word execution. Whoever executes is going to win. But who do you feel has really grown as a Maple Leaf in this series? Would it be Freddie Anderson? Would it be Austin Matthews? Would it be both? Who do you point
3: to? Well, I'd say both and like they've both been very good. Matthews with his five goals. Anderson has been solid throughout exceptional at times, uh, and not really looking weak at any point. So if you're the Leafs, you feel like a million bucks in terms of what your goaltender is going to, uh, display tonight. Um, I think Morgan Riley's had a fantastic, uh, playoffs, especially game six. He was probably the best player on the entire ice. There was a point in game six when the Leafs kind of fell asleep as a team where if they didn't have Anderson and if they didn't have Riley, that would have been, you know, 4-1, 5-1 when it was only 2-1 at that point. Um, And then, obviously, Boston gets the 3-1 goal, but Matthew's another guy that that you brought up uh, gets the 3-2 goal. So, um, yeah, those three guys, I think. And um, just as a a key, I guess, uh, at the end of the day, I think that this game also, like I alluded to, the tight-checking, the, the low scoring chances, the the penalties uh, that Toronto takes are going to be under the microscope, both, you know, the penalty itself and, and how they perform on the penalty kill, because they've just been crushed by a Boston power play that has a lot of options. Uh, they've scored seven times on 16 opportunities. So um, that's been really lethal. And, and it's really been a big part of a Boston success because uh, the Leafs have limited Boston at five on five for the most part. So, that's something else to keep an eye on, and, and in that respect, uh, I would say this is a, a big game for John Tavares, who's going to get um, a lot of key matchups on on the penalty kill. So we've seen some growth from from those guys that you mentioned, and you know John Tavares, the big free agent signing in the summer. I think this is his game uh, to put his mark on the series. Not that he's had a bad series, but his time to to really shine and show, like, hey, I w- I'm I'm a difference maker in this league, and this is this is how I'm able to sort of. Uh, display that, and and I think that yeah, this is this is Tavares's game to to shine.
0: National hockey writer for theScore.com, John Mattis. John, before we close out the first round, I mean, is this one of those first rounds? Because if you think, oh, okay, tell me about the first round six years ago, you have to struggle to think, ah, what happened then? Or tell me about mm-hmm. the first round even three years ago. Ah, th- not sure. This one, how much do you think this is going to stand out for what has happened in it?
3: Well, we all sort of live in a. Uh, you know a a short memory society if you want to call it that like we move on from things pretty quickly but I think you make a good point like this year has been exceptionally weird with you know Tampa being swept with the Islanders continuing to to show us that they're you know to be reckoned with and and disposing of the Penguins really quickly in four games Colorado beating Calgary pretty handily Um, you know you go up and down the list and even Dallas beating Nashville it's like I thought Nashville was supposed to be a cup favorite coming into the season. And then Winnipeg gets beat by St. Louis, a hot team, a good team, but still Winnipeg, one of those preseason cup favorites. Um, you just go up and down the list and, you know, I, I'm not going to lie, Mike, uh, I'm, I'm on, on pace maybe to to go over eight in my predictions for the first <laughs> round, which is phenomenal. And, and I don't think I'm alone. There's other people that have expressed that on Twitter. It's just been a really weird first round and I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's great. I think, some of these markets like if Carolina wins I think that's fantastic for for hockey there. Uh, I think that, you know, getting Dallas further along in the playoffs after they had that rough regular season with with the drama with the, the CEO and, and the star players and and there's just a, there's a lot of storylines, you know. Like if the Leafs win tonight, there's a the potential for a, a Tavares versus the Leafs or sorry versus the Isles Eastern Conference final. So it's yeah, I think we're going to look back uh, you know in, in, in some time here and go what happened uh, in in the early stages of the 2019 playoffs because we all like to think that we know um, you know what's going to happen and usually we hit on you know one two three four things but this year it's almost been like just yeah, there's no point in trying at this at this juncture with, with what we've seen through the first two weeks
0: well thanks for the coverage on all of it look forward to the coverage still to come John enjoy game seven tonight
3: thanks Mike have a good one
0: take care. That's John Mattis, used to write and live here in London, now the national hockey writer for thescore.com. So low scoring, don't take penalties if you're the Maple Leafs, and you just hope that when you take a shot, it goes in. That's what game sevens come down to. When you get a chance, that has to go in the net. If it doesn't, and they get a chance, and they put it in the net, they're going to win. It's kind of the way it goes. 519-643-2222. Maryland, you don't have a Leafs-Bruins
4: prediction, do you? Well, I guess not, but my father, I'm getting an echo here. Okay. Uh, are you getting we're, an
0: no, echo here? we're good,
4: to? we're good. Okay, as long as you can hear me. Well, my father just loved police. Now, that's back in the day, so it's still apps. um uh, It's Tazanicki, mm-hmm. Peter Kennedy, you don't remember you're only forty-six.
0: Yeah, I didn't so watch any of those guys play live, to tell you the truth. Although my, you know, at, at some point I had a buddy who put my face up next to Sil Apps. There, uh, there's a picture out there that that looks very similar. So,
4: well, you don't look like like Hit Sil Apps. No, you don't. Think you're so? better. No, you're you're not bad looking. In fact, <laughs> you're kind of cute.
0: Sil Apps is a good-looking guy.
4: Well, I have. Well, you know, you've got to remember it's about eight or ten, when my dad was, you know, so hyped on hockey.
0: Yeah. And they were winning Stanley Cups back then. Oh,
4: yes. And they were a wonderful team. I do – I wish they would come back.
0: Well, you know what, Marilyn? If they can win game seven tonight – you might get that wish cuz the road is kind of getting paved in front of them. They just have to win tonight. So be a
4: leaf oh, fan tonight it's in, that in honor of wonderful. your dad and you never know. Well, look at gear. As far as that politician's beer is concerned, I wouldn't touch it. <laughs> I don't I don't drink beer anyway. It it looks like horse, you know what?
0: Okay. All right. I hadn't thought of it that I, way.
4: I don't, oh, well, we had horses on the farm, and, you know, I sort of know a thing or two about horses. But anyways, as far as politicians are are concerned, they're all the same, and some are worse.
0: Well, Marilyn, I really appreciate your call today. Thanks so much.
4: Thank you, dear. I really think a lot of you. You're, you're so kind.
0: Well, hey, Marilyn, you call the show anytime. We get so many, so many emails and, and calls saying they love hearing from you, so keep that up, all right?
4: Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you to Marilyn. We'll take a break. We'll let you know what's still to come on London Live next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. A couple of predictions have come in at Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can email anytime. Uh, I'm not going to say who sent them, but because I don't have their permission. I, I don't want to do that. But Leaf fans, they're, they're kind of picking against you so far. Where are the Leaf fans in this? See, that's what I mean. If you, if you see a Leaf fan, it's kind of like you need to put a code on them today. They seem all frail. You know, when when you get anxious about something and and you almost give that little self-hug and you you kind of hold your arms in tight? That's a Leaf fan today. Nobody's stepping out and saying, I'm a Leaf fan. Get out of my way, please. That's not what's happening. They need a hug today. This is going to be a tough night if it doesn't go their way. Here's what's coming up on London Live. We'll talk with the former environmental commissioner of Ontario, Gordon Miller. Gordon is a fascinating guy. And... We're going to talk about how prepared we are for not what weather is coming or what climate change is coming. How prepared we are for what's happening now. Because everything's based on the old data. Well, the old data might as well be crumpled up and thrown in the garbage. You can't base what we have in terms of height of dikes or bridges or circumference of... Any kind of cylinder, any kind of drainage cylinder, you can't base that on old data anymore. And Gordon will tell us why. And we'll also talk about an announcement regarding new funding to help protect and conserve some of the nature that this country has. Plus, what's happening downtown. Where can you go? Where can you not go? And when are the jackhammers going to be on Dundas Place? All of that straight ahead. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Okay, before we do anything this hour, I want to thank you for all of the emails that have come in. Not about whether or not the Leafs are going to win. I still have no Leaf fans predicting that the Leafs are going to win. We don't have any other Bruins fans who predicted that the Bruins are going to win. We know how Bob feels about the Bruins. No, we have had some emails come in asking, is Marilyn okay? Because Marilyn seemed to slow down as she was talking just now. And Marilyn is a big part Of Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Every time she's on the air, we seem to get emails saying, Marilyn makes my day. I love listening to Marilyn. She makes my day. And so we, we had some people who were concerned. I just called Marilyn during news, and Marilyn is fine. She was using a cell phone, and when she said at the beginning of our conversation, does it sound echoey to you, the phone was echoing back on her. So she was talking a little more slowly because she had an echo in her ear. So, Marilyn is just fine. That is the best news of the day. So, Marilyn, you have an excellent afternoon. Know that a lot of people were very concerned that you were all right, and it's great to hear that you are. This hour, we've got a lot to do. We're going to talk about downtown and where the construction projects are going in the next little while plus what you can expect in that last little stretch of that i guess do we call it the first or the last i guess it's the first stretch of dundas place so from right out all the way to richmond that's not finished it's been opened but it's not finished and if you've been there and you've looked at it and you've said well this looks really nice It's about to look even better. So later on this hour, we'll give you details on that. We're also going to talk about a new funding announcement that is aimed at helping to protect and conserve a lot of nature in this country. We've got an awful lot of nature. That announcement is actually happening as we speak. So we'll get more information on that. Uh, Craig Neal's had a great interview this morning with Phil Squire talking about Western students and the academic penalties for unsanctioned events that they may be taking part in and I think Phil Squire made a really good point that we've heard in our newscasts on 980 CFPL but it it bears reiterating this is a situation that will be addressed by Western University on Thursday and I'm not sure exactly what they're going to come up with we've talked with Western University about this in the past and they have said hey we're We are giving students information about this. Um, The other thing to know is this is not Western-centric. This is not London-centric. If you look back at some other days, there is a day at Waterloo where everybody goes and there's a street that isn't actually closed off. And this thing gets absolutely massive. There are... Parties like this or gatherings like this in Hamilton, in Montreal, in Ottawa, every single university is dealing with this. And when we looked into it the last time, we found that the universities themselves are getting together and the universities themselves are starting to address and say, "Okay, how do we deal with this? Because the students are able to let people know it's like you don't want to have a party at your house anymore. Because when that party happens, if you're willing to say, hey, kids, we're going away this weekend, wink, wink, don't have a party, wink, wink, good luck to you. You you can't do that because you've got a reach that goes pretty far, and the whereabouts of a party, they're really easy to find. You know, if, let's say, the party thrower throws themselves out there and says, yeah, just see where I am on Snap Map right now. You can see their little avatar, and you can see exactly where they're on Google Maps, and you can follow the yellow brick road right to a party. So, house parties aren't as common, I don't think, as they used to be. But these big gatherings, it's pretty easy to put out the word. Look at how Foco got started. That was a Facebook thing. And I still scratch my head. I, you know... (sighs) Academic institutions know a lot and people of academia know a lot, but it isn't necessarily a lot about what's going on or how people are going to react at other levels and other places. And I firmly believe that. And I don't think enough is done in certain situations to go out and say, "Okay, here's what we're thinking of doing. What is the fallout going to be? Because we had homecoming moved with the hope that it would cut down on the number of partiers, right? Well, what happens? You get FOCO out of this. So, I don't think anyone could have seen that coming, but you would at least bring a few people into a room and say, you know, if we moved homecoming, what would you do? Oh, we'd just make another one. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Then maybe we're not going to move homecoming. And those decisions need to be handled differently. From what I can understand. So we'll wait to see what happens on Thursday. But Phil Squire made a a really good point. I got off track for a second. Phil Squire made a really, really good point in that this is not going to be every student that is going to be turfed, tossed, fined. That's not what it's going to be. But it is going to target individuals that maybe have a bigger hand in things or are doing things that are, are far less safe than they should be so we'll follow that story on 980 CFPL as well and uh, we'll let you know what comes out of the university on Thursday up next we are going to be talking with Gordon Miller he's an ecologist he's an environmental policy analyst and he is the former environmental commissioner of Ontario and he is somebody that is looking into the future and he doesn't necessarily like what he sees and it doesn't just center on global warming. This guy was in Paris, France when the Paris Agreement was signed. So he's been in some big places. He's going to take a look at something that exists now where we have a whole bunch of data, and that data is used to create whether it's culverts or whether it is heights of bridges or heights of dams. And that should be something that we look into changing. We look into dealing with differently. That's the first thing we'll get to. Why would we want to change the data? Well, there's a big reason for it. And it's next on London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Yesterday on the show we got talking about flooding and some of the things being done to address flooding. Of course, we got into the idea that we're seeing some pretty major cuts to conservation authorities in the province by the Doug Ford government. So I want to take this to a different level right now. And I want to look at this big, big picture, big picture. So in order to do that, we need somebody big to talk to, somebody who has been there, done that, made policy, and someone who has an idea on what is coming. And that's exactly who we have joining us on London Live The former Environmental Commissioner of Ontario, ecologist, environmental policy analyst, Gordon Miller, joins us right now. Gordon, great to speak with you. How are you? I'm good. We are looking at the latest bits of flooding in Canada, and you can look around the world and you can find more examples of flooding. When you look at flooding, how quickly does your mind turn to climate change?
5: Well, that's, of course, the... Underlying cause of all this. this is the key thing that people have to recognize: that climate change is real and it's here now, and it's resulting. We all along, we've been twenty years, we've been telling the public climate change will lead to extreme weather events, particularly extreme rainfall events, and it's happening. And what's happened, what's what's changed is that the, our whole system of planning for floods is based on the historic pattern of floods. Well, that history is out the window. We used to have something called IDF curves, like this intensity, duration, and frequency of rainfall. And I think mean, people hear, hear people call, talk about the 100-year storm and that sort of thing, right? That comes from our old system that said, said, well, you know, statistically, we expect a storm of this magnitude every 100 years. So we'll build this bridge this high or this, you know, this dike this high. And, and that data is no longer valid.
0: And are we still using that data, do you feel, to construct things now?
5: Yes, we, ha- we are. And of course, uh, you know even if we started making changes immediately, I mean, everything we've built in the last 50 or 60 years is built to that statistical model, right? And that's the challenge of this climate change. It's, we know the weather has gone extreme and it's changed, and it's happening, as you said, all over the world, but we have to come up with a new way of addressing the probability of flooding.
0: And immediately you think about, well, if we had to change the size of storm sewers, if we had to change the heights of bridges, the heights of dikes, of dams, uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of dollar signs. How about you?
5: That's right. And, and, of course, there's too many dollar signs. You can't just go around. And, of course, what would you change them to, right? That's the other part. is you, you know, you might say, well, a 24-inch culvert under that road is puts the road at risk. Oh, how big do you make it? Well, we don't know because the weather keeps getting more extreme. So, what you do instead, I think, is you say, okay, what are the areas that we have to keep running? What are the roads that have to keep running? And it may not always be the big road, or it may not always be the main area. And where, you know, what are the consequences of flooding occurs there? You have to expect roads to be washed out. You have to expect to be dikes and, and levees to be uh, exceeded in, in height and flooding to occur. The point is, look at your community and and decide, how do we change things? How do we prepare for a different kind of future weather system?
0: We're talking with Gordon Miller, ecologist, environmental policy analyst, former environmental commissioner in the province of Ontario, and we're looking at flooding and, and planning for the future. Gordon, do you feel that politicians making decisions have an appreciation of what you were just talking about yet or not?
5: No, that's, we're just at the transition. Some people get it, uh, but uh, we're, we really, you know, people are, are realizing that something's wrong and change. They haven't gone as far as saying what, what different approaches do we have to apply. I note that, uh, you know, in the news uh, recently that Quebec, because of the flooding down there now, that some of the politicians are saying, well, we're going to have to start buying these people out because they're flooding every couple of years, and we're going to buy their homes and get them to move to higher ground. Well, that in that particular instance, that's the kind of change in thinking that has to occur. You know, those homes, by the way, in Quebec have, you know, are on properties that have been uh, you know lived upon for you know a couple hundred years. And it's not as if it's uh, this is a new phenomena for them that they have to might have to buy out their homes and move the, move the people. So it is. Some people are catching on, but certainly we have a long way to go to rethink where we are with respect to uh, the the to adapting to the new extreme weather events.
0: If you go back in history and you look at the Netherlands and you look at how susceptible the Netherlands was to flooding, they, of course, had a very tragic flood and claimed a lot of lives. And then they said, never again. In North America, it seems that we have flooding and then people say, well, we hope that doesn't happen again. And then it does. Where does that mindset come from?
5: (laughs) Well, in fairness, in fairness, back you know, in in what 1952 we had Hurricane Hazel and some people lost their lives. It was very tragic, uh, but it resulted in massive flooding. And we did change. We started the conservation authorities. We started changing the way we do business uh, and and you know preparing for floods. Now, of course, in, in 2019 we have a government that's just cut the fa- the funding funding to uh, uh, the conservation authorities by 50 percent. Right? Uh, we're certainly our head isn't where it ought to be right now. We're going in the wrong direction. You're right. So. It's not as if we've always been this foolish. We have realized things at points in the past, but boy, we need another shakeup. We need to rethink what we're doing now because it isn't getting any better.
0: How do you see this playing out? I mean, we we get warned that if we're not really making changes, that 2030, we're going to see changes that by then may not be able to be reversed. By 2050, absolutely. We hear the term environmental refugees. Do you see that kind of stuff in our future?
5: Of course, there are, are already environmental refugees, both in Asia and in, in North America, further south, thank goodness for, for Canadians. But but absolutely, that's where we're going. We, we the, the landscape we live in, live on, and, and the way we live it is going to have to change with respect to the extreme weather events that are occurring now and will continue to get worse. So, yes, it's going to disrupt things. I mean, you've got areas down in southwestern Ontario there that are agricultural areas. They're behind dikes and uh, and levees, right? And uh, and those have been topped over in the past, and they're at great risk of being topped over again. and. Flooding large areas. So uh, we have to be aware that, um, that things can change radically. We've been overconfident about, you know, everybody thinks it's sort of the weather. Too. Oh, well, you know, it fluctuates from year to year, but it'll always stay the same in, my, in your lifetime. No, it won't. And no, it hasn't. For those of us that are old enough to have seen enough, some years come and go, things are radically different already, and they're changing more.
0: Gordon Miller joining us. Ecologist, environmental policy analyst, former environmental commissioner in the province of Ontario. As we talk about flooding, we talk about changes to our weather patterns, and we talk about certainly some of the things that are not really being addressed at the moment and and what that could mean. Now, when you look at, at things that that need to be addressed we we live lives in in the immediate do we need a really concerted approach where we have everybody involved where we've got the globe involved where you know does that need to happen before change actually takes place or can it be done in segments by certain countries and still make a difference
5: well both both are possible i mean certainly we can make uh, we can decide in Ontario and in Canada to make some big changes and and improve things substantially here. All over the world, though, as you point out, uh, it requires a big rethink of uh, of what's happening around the, around the globe. I was in Paris in 2015, and and there was certainly the you know the start of that uh, with the Paris Agreement. And but and yet we're, yes, we've got a long way to go, especially with Mr. Trump down there, uh, you know, trying to opt out of that. So. Uh, you know, things can be done. I know it's a daunting task and it seems to be overwhelming, but, you know, incrementally, like for instance, I'm, I'm heading up a project uh, called the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Collaborative, which is looking at uh, generating new ideas of thinking of uh, meeting some of the great challenges of the Great, great Lakes, especially with respect to climate change. So, things are ongoing. We're trying to push forward, trying to get innovative solutions But uh, we have to recruit some more people, and people have to open their minds to uh, the new reality.
0: The Great Lakes, that's our fresh water. That's something I don't know about you, but I'm sure you want to protect it. I want to protect it. I know it's going to become a resource that we might have to protect because other people might want it. What do you see as being the big challenges for the Great Lakes? What are you looking at?
5: Oh we're looking at number of things we're certainly looking at uh, the climate change and the effect on flooding and on the shoreline and that sort of thing. we're looking at nutrients in the lake lake Erie, you've heard down the area, the problems with nutrient additions and and and, and we're looking at toxics you know toxic substance which have been going on for some time, but having a fresh look at some of those toxic things going on and we're also looking at on beaches because uh, that's one way that people um, you know contact or get in, in, involved with the great lakes is, is through their beaches in the summer. And then that's, uh, you know, there's a big challenge on Great Lakes beaches. So those are some of the topic areas that we're we're trying to get some innovative solutions advanced. And uh, we're going to be reporting to the Federal Minister of Environment in, in June on that. And uh, we have a Great Lakes Summit coming up on May 1st in Toronto to reveal some of these recommendations. But at least it's driving forward trying to initiate some new thinking and some new ideas.
0: Gordon Miller, joining us, ecologist, environmental policy analyst, former environmental commissioner of Ontario. One last thing, and that is going back to 2015 and going back to that meeting where you got the Paris Agreement. Take us back to that time. What what was the sense around that? What were you feeling from people at that time?
5: That was a time of great optimism and a great optimism for Canadians. We uh, we we did we did our, the world proud on that day. I don't think we've fit so, done so well since, but certainly. Uh, Canada you know broke the ice and and was a key a country in and not only getting that agreement but getting that agreement to to reach out not to stop just the, the the heating of the of the average temperature of the earth by two degrees but to try to achieve one point five degree which was which was really important to a lot of island nations and nations prone to flooding around the world and Canada was seen as a, as a great leader in, in breaking the ice on that decision so uh, you know Everybody was optimistic about Canada in 2015. I, I, I think we want to keep that in mind and hold to that and make sure that uh, because things are certainly taking a little bit of a downturn right now and, and in Ontario.
0: What do you think? Is it well? obviously the, the cutbacks in Ontario, but in Canada, do you feel we can still be a leader and should be a leader in, in that topic?
5: Yes, we do. We wish we can, and we, we, we should be, because, you know, we have the resources. and the, I mean, I, nobody likes to spend more money. Nobody, everybody says, you know, I don't like uh, carbon tax. Well, I don't like carbon tax either, but it's, it's important to, to try to give an incentive for people to reduce their carbon emissions. We can demonstrate to the world, because we're rich enough, some of the poorer countries in the world can't. You know, they're struggling just to get along. Canada can be a leader. We have the resources. We have the ability. We have the intelligence and the education to, to, to show the world it can be done. And that's the contribution we can make. It may not, we may not be the biggest you know source of greenhouse gases in the world, but no far from it. But we can be the biggest source of leadership and insight and innovation in tackling this problem.
0: Gordon, thank you so much for your time and your insight today.
5: you welcome. Gordon Miller ecologist
0: environmental policy analyst and former environmental commissioner of ontario okay there's a new perspective that's one i hadn't thought of before that we may not be able to make the biggest dent in greenhouse gases but we can show other countries it can happen so you can say yeah but look what we've done you could do that too and hope that they say huh can you show us i hadn't thought of it from that perspective before love new perspectives thank you to gordon miller Up next, we have news, and then we're going to talk about an announcement that has been happening with regard to helping protect and conserve nature in Canada while we're on this particular topic. And then we'll talk about improvements in downtown London. Remember the phrase, short-term pain, long-term gain. We're heading back into that. Say that to yourself the next time you're trying to drive through downtown. Short-term pain, long-term gain. Short-term pain. Long-term gain. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Another day, another suspension in the OHL. We actually had two yesterday. One involving Londoner Justin Murray of the Saginaw Spirit suspended four games for an elbow to the head of Mackenzie Entwistle of Guelph. And then you had Saginaw's goalie, who baseball batted a puck, out of play, that's an automatic five-game suspension. That's exactly what he got. And then today, Anthony Salanitri of the Oshawa Generals used to play for Sarnia. He was given a six-game suspension for a real cheap shot from behind on Marco Rossi of the Ottawa 67s. So he's gone six games. 519 643 We've talked about Leaf fans. You can recognize them just by walking by them today. They're all kind of clenched up. Looking like they need a hug, they need some kind of reassurance that everything's going to be okay, because none of them believe that it's going to be okay. Our next caller is not going to be able to provide them with that. Bob, how do you think your Bruins are going to do tonight?
6: Oh, Mike. Uh, well, let's just yeah. Well, I'll give the fans a hug today, and I'll give them a hug tomorrow too if they want. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just gonna. I'll throw out something out there. I think Bruins are going to take it five to three tonight.
0: 5 3. That's the second 5 to 3 for Boston prediction I've either seen or heard today. We had some emailed in before news about 40 minutes ago, and one of them said Boston 5 3.
6: Oh, is that right? Yeah. That something in the air. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, if you look at the situation, uh, this series is nobody's really owned it. You know, it's just each team has played a period of here. Last game Boston played, uh, I think I calculated 28 minutes of decent hockey. Uh, so nobody's really dominated a full 60 minute game, and uh, I think, you know, maybe tonight that may happen for one of the teams, but, you know, it could go either way. But I'm going to throw Boston out there 5 3. Anderson, you know, you got Anderson. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> he could steal the game, obviously. And, uh, you know, the broom fans don't, shoot, or broom players don't shoot near the glove hand of Anderson. That would be the first thing I would, if I was a coach. Do anything but that if you can. Um, Also, uh, Mike, I wanted to just talk about that last uh, uh, your last guest, Gordon Miller. Mm -hmm. You know, I when I hear people talk like that and with that tone, it kind of bothers me a bit. With all due respect, go ahead. It's just like it's just panic and mass hysteria that they just throw out there, and I think it's a little bit irresponsible. Now, if we got a well, what he change.
0: wasn't i don't I didn't find him panicking or or talking mass hysteria. he was basically saying a lot of the data that we have doesn't match the most recent data in terms of things like rainfall for storms, and that's going to be problematic if that continues
6: well okay, yeah when he said that, I thought of something I went back in my mind and I remember uh okay, so I was born in nineteen sixty I remember, I was, I was living around the Tecumseh area when I was a child, right, right next to uh, Lake St. Clair there, okay. just actually less than a kilometer from the lake. And I remember uh, in, in, the, in the early 70s, we had flooding. It would flood almost a mile up from the lake on the road, right? It was like a lake and the golf courses and all that. So I remember that. I also remember going to Florida in, in the late 60s with our family on a trip. And I remember well, one occasion, it probably 1969, and I remember there was just torrential rain, flooded roads all the way down from Georgia down into Florida, okay? And that, that happened that, that many years ago. And I also remember living in northwestern Ontario. I spent 15 years there. And about this time, on about, about the, out of the 15 years on three occasions, this time the Red River would flood, because of the snow buildup or what have you. And when you drove from Kenora down the highway into Winnipeg, when you got close to, uh, to Winnipeg, you see in the farmer's fields were like lakes. The Red River was overflowing. People were sandbagging, getting flooded out. Because, well, because Winnipeg is built on an ancient lake bed. Mm-hmm.
0: So and nat- they have this problem all the time, usually oh, annually.
6: Absolutely. Right, and, and so and so nature just reclaims, certain things that we've built our our, our, uh, our living areas on. That just happens. It's going to overflow. So he can go back, and I don't understand if when he says, well, you don't have to look at past, past data. No, you do. Well,
0: he's because- looking at past data. He's saying that the data right now is changing. Bob, i got to run because we've got an interview yeah. booked, but thank you so much. We'll see what your Bruins are up to later on.
6: Yeah, we'll see. they uh, got the sponge pucks ready to throw at the TV. Uh, <laughs> as the foam pucks are in case uh, things will arrive. Keep
0: them foam. Keep them foam.
6: <laughs> it's hard sometimes, Mike. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Take care, Bob. Thanks for the call. Uh, quick email, and it's along the same line that Bob was talking about. This is from Mark. Mark says, the guy you had on regarding climate change, And these are his words. Oh boy, what a joke. I remember Lake Erie was so polluted you couldn't even fish in it. We had huge storms in winter and summer. That was 40 to 50 years ago. Our weather isn't near as bad as it used to be. How come they don't call it global warming anymore? Because the whole thing is a huge joke. This again is coming from Mark. He says humans will kill each other before Mother Nature will. We will take a break and return to talk about nature next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Yesterday was Earth Day, and we left the show yesterday with Ted saying, you know what, every day should be Earth Day, and wanted to make mention that whether it is World Wildlife Fund or other organizations, Ducks Unlimited, they've done a lot to put money back into programs that help some of the naturalized areas of our country and help some of our wetlands And right now there is an announcement that is going on, and that announcement involves the Minister of Environment and Climate Change. Remember, we do have a ministry for environment and climate change, Catherine McKenna. And we have an opportunity to talk about what this announcement is looking at and what is happening Because Dan Krause is the National Conservation Biologist at the Nature Conservancy of Canada and joins us right now. Dan, how are things today?
7: Good, Mike. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Let's look at what this announcement that's kind of playing out as we speak is all about. What do we know?
7: Yeah, this is happening right now. The the Minister is announcing the Natural Heritage Conservation Program, which is a, a new program that's investing in nature across southern Canada. So it's going to be uh, $100 million over four years. Uh, the Nature Conservancy of Canada and some of our partners, including Ducks Unlimited that you mentioned and local land trusts will be implementing that program. And the goal is to protect more nature in southern Canada uh, on the private land base, because that's the place where we're losing nature the most quickly, and that's the place where where people, Canadians, need nature the most. How
0: are we losing that nature? Is that industrialization?
7: Well, it's a a few ways. You know, certainly some parts of of Canada, including southern Ontario where you are, has lost a lot of the, the natural cover. Uh, Southern Ontario has about 14% natural cover left. Uh, some places like our prairies, we're continuing to lose natural habitats really quickly to expanding cities, to changing agricultural uses, to roads. Uh, but we can protect some of the key areas, and that's what we want to do at the Nature Conservancy of Canada. And this program is creating an opportunity for us to, to match those federal dollars. We have to match them two to one. So for every dollar we get from the federal government, we'll have to raise two dollars from provinces or businesses or individuals, and we can then invest that in protecting some of the most important places for conservation that we have left in Canada and here in Ontario.
0: We're talking with Dan Krause. Dan is the National Conservation Biologist at the Nature Conservancy of Canada, and we're talking about a media announcement that is going on, a news conference that's going on right now with the Federal Minister of Environment and Climate Change, And that is Catherine McKenna, and it is dealing with an announcement that will provide $100 million to look at at protecting some of the nature in this country. Uh, Dan, let's go back to cover. How do we define what cover is?
7: So these are places like our forests, our wetlands, uh, some of the prairies that we still have left in in southern Ontario, and those provide critical habitat for many species, including the over 130 species at risk that live in southern Ontario.
0: Okay, so we have, you said in southwestern Ontario, about 14% falls into that?
7: About 14% is left as, as natural cover, and some of those are, are working landscapes. Uh, very few of those places are protected, and that's one thing about southern Ontario compared to the rest of Canada is we just don't have a lot of national parks or provincial parks. There's not a lot of opportunities to create large parks like that, so it really comes down to us to identifying some of those key areas and working with landowners to protect those places forever.
0: Do we know how that 100 million could be broken down? I mean, could we see the creation of new parks?
7: Well these areas will be protecting areas that are currently privately owned. Okay. So many of the most important places for nature, especially in southern Ontario, they're still privately owned and they're, they're that way because families maybe for generations have been looking after those places. At Nature Conservancy of Canada, we often work with individuals and families who they want to make sure that the, the lands that they love and they've been caring for and they know are important uh, are passed on to future generations. So we sometimes get land donations, which is great of those key areas. Often we, we purchase those lands, um, but many of them will then be owned and managed by Nature Conservancy of Canada or Ducks Unlimited or a local land trust. Uh, and in most cases, there'll be public access and an opportunity for people to, to enjoy nature and learn more about what, what makes those places so important.
0: Dan, thanks so much for outlining this for us.
7: All right, thank you. If people want to visit our, our website at natureconservancy.ca, they can learn more about it and how they can help to uh, protect nature in the future.
0: Fantastic. Natureconservancy.ca. Dan, have a great afternoon. Thanks, Mike. That's Dan Krause. Dan is the National Conservation Biologist at the Nature Conservancy of Canada. So, $100 million being announced right now. This will no doubt come up in news stories in the very near future that would look especially at our area, saying we've got 14% cover, which basically is, is areas where we do have kind of natural habitat. And we're looking at privately owned areas that would then be protected against growth of cities and other things so that you maintain that that's what's happening right now we'll take a break what is happening downtown london you enjoying the construction it's back tried to go down wellington the other day couldn't do it remember the mantra short-term pain long-term gain we'll talk with jim Yanchula from the city of london next about some of the projects that are already underway and some of the finishing touches due to come to dundas place this is global news radio 980 CFPL. Before we close out, let's get an update on Dundas Place. Looks nice if you've been down there. Apparently it's going to look better. Jimmy Anchula is the manager of Downtown Projects and Business Relations and joins us now to take a look at construction season which is officially underway. If you look, Dundas from Richmond to Wellington is definitely under construction. There are a few other spots. And, Jim, I guess it's time to outline some things. What do we have to watch out for today?
8: Um, It's not too much of an inconvenience today because the um, work is the finishing touches that was on the segment completed last year. So this means um, polishing the concrete with some sandblasting, getting ready for putting in the uh, trees, taking out the old, um, or not the old, but the uh, trees that we had wintering there in the red boxes. Um, there's some um, uh, work to do with uh, electrical connections and so forth. So it's odds and ends that we'll uh, put the finishing touches on, and they'll be taking place intermittently, so you'll still be able to kind of move around there for the next couple of weeks. There is some evening work, though, and so... Uh, that'll take us like, um, especially the sandblasting. that's kind of noisy, so we've asked the contractor to limit that until midnight so that people who live on Dundas Place have a uh, chance to have a decent night's sleep.
0: <laughs> okay, so most of that will be done earlier in the day. How long is this expected to go on for?
8: Well, it's, it's just as the uh, contractor and subcontractor schedules the work there, so it'll be over the next course of a few weeks. Um, but the disruption to travel there won't uh, you know, be uh, this month. It'll be starting next month. We'll have to do some road closures for the bigger things.
0: But right now, if you are using the road to walk on, to drive on, to cycle on, how's that working out?
8: That's just, you might find a temporary detour on one side of the sidewalk or the other. You might uh, find uh, that you have to turn at Talbot instead of Dundas if you're traveling eastbound on Dundas, um, but it won't be anything permanent.
0: Jim Yanchula joining us as we talk about Dundas Place and the finishing touches for one part. Jim, of course, is the downtown projects and business relations manager with the City of London. If you go beyond Richmond just a little bit on Dundas, things things are a little bit different. Is that basically what it's going to look like this summer?
8: Oh, yes. Uh, we have the construction full swing on the 2nd phase construction between Richmond and Wellington. That includes the closure of the Clarence Street intersection. Um, so what you see is pretty much what you're going to get for the rest of the construction season on Dundas Place. Any other
0: spots that we maybe don't have in construction mode right now that are coming up in the very near future that you can think of?
8: Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll be marching down uh, York Street in the uh, next phase of our sewer separation project there. Uh, so mm-hmm. right now, we've got it closed between Talbot and Richmond. Later on at the um, you know end of June or beginning of July, we'll have to close the Richmond intersection. And then after a few weeks of that, we'll open it up again. But we'll have to close it between the Richmond intersection and the Via Station. So uh, in terms of York Street, you'll get down a little bit of it but you won't get down all of it um this construction season
0: now you've said it before short-term pain long-term gain right that's what we have to keep repeating to ourselves
8: that is what we have to keep repeating ourselves we're building a 21st century city but we still have 19th century infrastructure and it just can't keep up to the pace of development that we have in the core so we're getting future ready
0: Can't wait for the future to arrive. Short-term pain, (laughs) long-term gain. Short-term pain, long-term gain. Jim, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Jim Yanchula, Manager of Downtown Projects and Business Relations. With the City of London. Oh, the other thing that is going on right now, if you haven't driven on King in a while, they are putting in the bike lanes that essentially will take you from Rideout all the way down to Colburn. And so there are pylons right now. There's a little zigzag that you've got to go through, but they are putting in those bike lanes. And so that is going to be completed very soon. Then you've got more of that safer east-west corridor for bike lanes. So it's, it's coming. We're getting there. Short-term pain, long-term gain. That's what we have to remember. Can Leaf fans use that in any way? I I don't think so. I don't think that's what they want to hear at all. Because you've been through short-term pain for long-term gain. That was called last year when the Toronto Maple Leafs went into the third period against the Boston Bruins in Game 7 in their first-round series with a 4-3 lead and wound up losing 7-4. That was short-term pain for long-term gain. Maybe... You never know. Maybe that has now paid off and all of these very worried Leaf fans are actually going to be happy tonight. Because maybe that was what it took. You've got to go through some stuff in life to know what it feels like and then come back around at it in order to excel. Right? That's positive enough. We'll see. That is one of three Game 7s in the National Hockey League. Congratulations to Alec Regula. He has signed a... An amateur contract with the Grand Rapids Griffins, and so he's off to the American Hockey League. Now, I have had a couple of questions by email at mike at 980cfpl.ca about Alec Regula. Does this mean that he will not be back with the London Knights next year? No. A weird thing happens. In junior hockey, when you end your season, you, if you are owned by an NHL team, could go to that NHL team. Or you could go to an American Hockey League team. And so that happens. And players will just go and play there. And then they return to their junior team for the next year. It's the same kind of thing in... Let's call it Junior B or Major Midget or even, well, I guess, Major Midget, where players, once their season is done, can come and play for OHL teams. Same sort of thing. Thanks to Matt McInnes for all of his help today. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. News is coming up next with Jacqueline Bell. Matthew Trevithick will be by. John Wilson. We've got business. We've got sports. We've got it all coming next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.